Welcome once again into the Soccer OG. Hey, that's me, Max Bretos. This is episode 43. As always, we'd like to thank our loyal listeners, but we want to make more of you out there. So please rate, review, download, subscribe to our little podcast so we can grow a larger audience and bring back all the goodness to you with better guests and better programming and more bells and whistles and a fireworks show and free beer. Probably not the last two, but you never know. You never know. So glad to be talking to you this week because I have been in internet hell here at the uh, Bretos Ponderosa here, the studios in beautiful Redondo Beach, California. Uh, internet hell to say the least, but we have managed and we are ready to go. Check out the recently published Soccer OG YouTube in my YouTube page, Max Bretos, where we break down the World Cup playoffs, what it means for the United States and Mexico and Canada, and who's going to make it to the World Cup. And the World Cup will begin in March. And that's right, not November. It begins in March. So make sure you tune in for that. It is up right now. We have a great show for you. Joining me in the business end, it is Kai Kamara, top five goal scorer all-time in Major League Soccer, has played in England and has just completed a run in Finland. We'll talk to him. And he'll give some good advice to young players looking to make a good career. Is getting older getting wiser in this game? Is there time to play in your 40s? And we'll also break down the World Cup qualifiers with Kai and get some very interesting perspective on the CONCACAF teams, in particular Canada. Remember, he played with Alfonso Davies. We'll talk about that. In stoppage time, I'll break down the Ballon d'Or. Everyone's giving the Ballon d'Or so much grief because Lionel Messi wants it, Robert Lewandowski. I have been telling you for years, if you follow me on social media, that these awards are absurd. It's a team sport. The only thing worse than the Ballon d'Or is the Heisman Trophy. <laughs> we'll get into that in stoppage time. I'll have some interesting perspective. But that's it. We're getting going. Let's roll. The Soccer OG starts right now. Great to be back with you and talking some football. We always try to figure out what we're going to talk about. Obviously, the Ballon d'Or is an easy one. We have a great guest and World Cup. We'll talk about World Cup qualifying, everything that comes with it every week because it's so freaking compelling. I am so pumped up for the next stage of World Cup qualifying. And uh, it is these European playoffs, 12 teams playing for three spots. It'll be in late March at the sites of the seeded teams, so it's going to be a very festive atmosphere. And it is single elimination. Get down to three teams. There's only room for Portugal or Italy or neither of them. So think about the prospects if Portugal and Italy play for a spot in the World Cup. Your World Cup has begun, folks. That's a, that's a matchup that you can only dream about in the World Cup. And it's to get into it. So... You could have that. You could have a Scotland-Wales game. You could have Russia-Sweden. Man, Russia, I've been looking at these teams, and you know, Russia's got something good going, man. They were really good in qualifying. They almost qualified automatically. Uh, I, I take the Swedes if it ends up with those two, but Russia's going to be there. And you have Turkey, and you have the Czech Republic, who were so good in the Euros, and Austria. It's going to be North Macedonia and my doppelganger, Goran Pandev. So uh, it's going to be a fantastic tournament. We look forward to that. A few things that caught my eye this past weekend. Napoli winning 4-0. And the Maradona statue was there. It was a tribute. They have the Maradona shirts. I absolutely love it. And it just draws me in. Great in the Sao Paulo. The Sao Paulo, incredible images and sounds from that game. MLS Cup playoffs, we expected it to be wild, and it has been. My goodness, what can you say about Real Salt Lake beating Seattle on the road, beating Sporting Kansas City on the road? Two very difficult places to play, and Real Salt Lake, historically one of the worst road teams in Major League Soccer, and they did it, and they really took it to Sporting in that game. I was really impressed, and all of a sudden, you figure they have a shot. They'll have to do it on the road again when they take on Portland in the Western Conference Final, which is a four-seed versus seven-seed, so that is wild in itself. 
that the fourth and the seventh seed, all year in MLS in the West, we talked about the big three, Seattle, Sporting, and Colorado, and they're all gone. So nothing unexpected in this new format of the playoffs. As I record this, we don't know who won between New England and New York City FC, but the winner will take on Philadelphia. Philadelphia Union getting by Nashville, who missed four straight penalties in a penalty shootout. Two of them went right over the goal. Shocking. Shocking. Penalties are so weird. One minute, you, you, no one misses for seven, and another time, no one can hit the frame for four. Bizarre. I want to get into uh, our uh, our subjects are very, uh, I think, thought-provoking and worth a discussion. And Kai, we recorded that. He's fantastic. Great perspective. He has taken a path unlike any other. And we'll also talk about his his time with the Sierra Leone national team, which is equally rewarding and very challenging for someone to try and build the level there. But they're, they're making progress, and we'll talk to him about it. Did want to talk about the Copa Libertadores final. You may have missed it. Palmeiras wins back-to-back trophies. They beat Flamengo 2-1 to one in uh, the Centenario Stadium in Montevideo. Uh, back-to-back for Palmeiras, back-to-back for Abel Ferreira, the Portuguese manager whose profile is going through the roof. It's hard to win that tournament. And it's a very special tournament to me. And as some of you may know, uh, during the year, and I'm planning on doing it again, I fly to Miami to call the Copa Libertadores games, uh, the groups and the qualifiers, and, and just volume games. And it's so good for me because I get to learn about the new players in South America. Coupled with the history that I'm already aware of, it is truly a, a rewarding f- feat. And to see it come to a, a culmination with fans in the stands, incredible color there of green Palmeiras, a swath of green Palmeiras fans, and the red and black of Flamengo. We would like to see these competitions not be so predominantly Brazilian, but I don't see that changing. What Brazil is doing is what England's doing in Europe, becoming the dominant league and leaving everyone in their dust. But it was great to see fans because we called so many of those games in empty stadiums. Man, there is nothing worse than calling a game in the empty stadium. No one's going to be more relieved when they're full because it is the, the, is then the coaches because you hear everything they say and they're getting yellow cards. But man, it is hard to do that. Without You've heard it so much during this pandemic. Without fans, this sport just doesn't, it cannot survive. It's just not good enough on its own. It needs the fans like most sports do, but some can get away with it. Not football, soccer. To see that tournament run its course after... So many challenges over two years, and I'll be looking forward, I think, in March to get back at it, and I hope all these games will be fully attended. The idea of it will have lockdowns seems further and further away. However, some Bundesliga games and some league, they're really cutting back on that as they're dealing with new developments in COVID. I just don't know what where we can go to hide. If I talk something not sports here, I don't know how we can hide from this. As we get a new strain coming up through Southern Africa, how we hide from all of this. And there can't be other lockdowns. And we can't go back to emptying stadiums. We've got, it's here. We've got to handle it the right way. We've got a social distance mask. You know that, you know the checklist. Just be smart about it. And we're not, we can't go back to it. Uh, and certainly I, I would say that a stadium is one of the safer places to, to be in. You know, since the since we've and I'm in California and the guidelines aren't that loose here, but I go back to the gym. That can't be the safest place. I've had COVID already. I hope uh, I have the antibodies to fight it. But we can certainly find ways to be careful. I mean, I don't see a lot of people publicly. It really bums me out. You know, I'd go to the pub or the workplace, the office. I don't do that anymore. Anyway, that was a little tangent off of the Copa Libertadores. Fantastic to see it culminate. We got a great show for you. Let's get into it. The Business End here with Kai Kamara. This is the Soccer OG. We're back here in The Business End. It is my pleasure to welcome in what a man who is truly a just a, a jewel in American soccer and has done so well. And when... He always finds new paths 
to continue what has been an incredible career, which has involved a lot of goals. Kai Kamarik, fresh off his stint in Finland, which their season just ended, joining us here on the Soccer OG. How goes it, young man? 37 years young. <laughs> it's going. It's going. When you say that number, I might need to change my jersey number to 37 from now on, you know? but You feel, uh, you feel good at 37, though. I feel great. Yesterday, I posted a picture of, you know, Arrowhead. Remember where we played with Kansas City Wizards played Manchester United. I looked at the picture. I'm like, I still feel the same way as I did then. <laughs> Is it? I was, I was Let me ask you about that. Five? Yeah. You say you, so you feel the same at 37 as 25. Yes. Okay. So, and, and I know you, you keep yourself in wonderful shape, but I, I've always, I have a philosophy. Uh, I don't think the kids out there are working as hard as the generation before them. So I think in every sport, and I think tennis is the one that showed me the way where players could play into their mid thirties. Back in the day, it was impossible to do that. You retired at 29 or 30, but we've seen it in soccer, you know, Cristiano Ronaldo's 37 and he is playing at a high level. It doesn't look like his career is any ending anytime soon. Do, do you when you see the younger players, do you sense that, that, hey, I'm, I'm 37 and I, I still have a lot to give. And 37 is, feels like maybe 30 when it 37 felt like 37, maybe 10, 15 years ago. Do, are, we is doing there a math? Different... are we doing math here? <laughs> I don't think I described, described <laughs> that very well. <laughs> you said so many numbers. I, started so many, I apologize. This is a non-math, <laughs> non-math show. But do you think there's, do you think getting older is just getting wiser in this sport and, you could where you thought maybe your the the career ends at 35 you could probably go to 40 or 45 you know i didn't i didn't max i didn't um maybe think about it so much then there was once when when um uh, when pirlo came to the league and that's when i actually maybe started following pirlo a little bit more and there was a quote that came from him that said you know football it's played, you know with the foot you think about it but football is more played with the brain than it's played with the foot and I think when you get older, that's when you start realizing that. Then before you want to do too many stepovers, before you feel like you can just run <laughs> past everyone, when sometimes you can the ball is faster than you. Coaches always tell you that, you know. But um, I was having a conversation with someone, um, Graham Zusi. Actually, I was talking to Graham the other day, and we were talking about numbers and you know retirement and all that. And it's like it's just a number. Before soccer players or athletes, the number was. 35 everybody's like oh you get to 35 you know by 33 to 35 you got to be retired by then hmm, so yeah. because of that mentally it was in their heads but then now with all the technology and all the 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 treatments that we get and the way we take care of our body the number doesn't have to be there anymore it depends on how you feel and if you feel right like you mentioned cristiano ronaldo or myself like a non-drinker non-smoker and all i care about is training and taking care of my body i don't think the number you know he said actually the number should my age shouldn't tell you um, what my performance is on the field. If I'm playing, I'm playing 90 minutes. That's all that matters. And I'm performing. So, yeah. Hey, you don't have to be young to, to keep hitting goals. I, I imagine some positions are off the board, like box to box midfielders is going to be tougher because fitness and cardio and recovery is just better when you're younger. But it's someone like yourself who plays in that position. And we, we've always known that about goalkeepers, maybe central defenders as well. But if you know your position analysis, and where to be and you're going to still score goals is that fair or is that am i that, thinking for sure 100 percent. i mean you want strikers too that that's you know going to run that's the you know samuel toe type of striker that's about to you know really run past a lot of people but as you say you know me i'm a striker i'm a box striker you know i've kind of uh, um i don't know uh identify myself as you know being in the box and athleticism and being the headmaster so you can't do headers outside of the box except for the <laughs> one time in, in portland I actually it actually happened in portland you did uh, when i was in vancouver the cross came and the goalkeeper was i don't know what he was doing coming out and i was top of the box and just but anyway so i don't have to do that so my running is inside the box and when you're outside the box that's a big guy like myself is just to hold balls and lay it off so i think um, depending on the style of play, depending on the coaches, you know, really that age, again, doesn't matter because you can perform and if you're going to score 10 plus goals, um, that's really all that matters because when they bring you to a team, that's what I've done in the past few years, they bring you to a team is to score goals. So just score your goals. 
what you got to do is get a bunch of kids to run around you. And then you just say, all right, I'm going to get there. Just get the ball in. And I, they do it in Alf- South America. Alfonso Davies. Oh, <laughs> Alfonso, just get up there and I'll be waiting for you. <laughs> in Vancouver days, like, yeah, just, just keep running, man. You know, you run, you, trust me, I'll be in that box. And when you cross that ball, I'll be there. And I just kept doing that over and over, you know. And it worked. Um, it worked. It, it did. It did. But no, it's good. I mean, but with the, with these, this generation, um, it's weird to say that, by the way, but this generation now, again, with trainings and all that, with the technologies, how they're cutting off training times because of how much workload you've put at training. With all that, again, yeah, with the younger players, you can probably see them going way past maybe playing into their 40s. Because I, I, I believe it, man. I believe yeah. it. And the, what they eat, you know, what they know how to, what do you, what do you every coaching staff has a performance uh, staff as well that can kind of yes. keep an eye on that. And I, by yeah. the way, I was going to mention in South America, there's four, there, there's a couple strikers because I did the Copa Libertadores. There's a couple strikers and they're not moving all over the place, but they're 41 and 42 and they're still scoring goals. Doing the job. <laughs> Doing the job. What, what, what age was, uh, was uh, El Pascarito when he came back to the league? You know, I, I want to say late 30, 38, 39, maybe. I don't know if he was that old, but he was, really? he was a, he, he was a savant. He knew what to do yeah. to get goals. And I think coaches really respect that in a pinch. They know who can I rely on to get it. So, you know, that, that uh, opens doors for you. Cause I know you want to keep playing. I can see it. I can see it. And I can hear it. Oh, my voice. goal is 40. My goal is 40. 40. You know, I'm definitely, I've, I've looked through that since I was back in, uh, 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 Cal state Dominguez Hills. I said, you know, when I become a professional, I want to play until I was 40 and, I'm 37 and I'm, you know, I feel good. I feel great. Um, it was great to move to Finland, you know, to really test another league and kind of see what it's like. I played in England. That was amazing. But being in Finland, that was really the biggest test of my career, really, because I went over there just for three months and the league was already far gone. And it's a new country. You have to adapt. And at the same time, this is we had, you know, the COVID situation with the team, with, with HIFC that I moved to. And many games got got postponed, and now we have to we had to play ten games within you know two months, and it was so tough. And all the games were on turf, and I played all those games ninety minutes, and I was really proud of myself. I felt I was like, okay, that's a really good test to my body sure. to see where I'm really at. I'm glad you pro- I'm glad you pronounced it because I wasn't sure. I was going to call it H I F K, but it's HIFK in the in the finish yeah, first you can say you can say h-i-f-k you know <laughs> like, who is this be... clown <laughs> hey did you see the h-i-f-k score what are you talking about oh uh, no it's good it's, it's such a you know again um when you talk about younger players and you talk about stuff so that's what it is over there you know i saw a lot of that and uh, it reminded me of the the earlier days in in mls you know and when you talk about, you know, guys now being able to rest their body, being able to, you know, prepare themselves well, because in 2006, seven or eight playing in, in MLS and what the budget was, you know, many of us had to do a little bit of side coaching for high school kids. So you were spending so much wow. time on the side, you know, doing that after training. But then now, again, there's so much more to the academy systems that clubs are creating that's helping, you know, developmental programs to make, you know, their their programs. good. A, a quick sidebar on that and just what we have seen the last two years with COVID and every league tournament has done this. And I don't know if it's good or not, but squeezing so many fixtures into it. And you said you handled it well. But when I see, you know, especially with like, and you were involved with, with your international team in Sierra Leone, which I want to talk about it. But for many mm-hmm. players, it involves, okay, game, club game, get on a plane, international, come back another midweek. And, and, and no one's really stopping. They're just piling on games. Is, how, is, that, is that something that these players can manage? Is it, is it something that's going to hurt them in the, in the long run, you think? Uh, I think it's tough for sure. You know, um, one reason what made me used to it was playing, you know, we have that Wednesday, Wednesday, Saturday or midweek weekend games in, in MLS. That's always been there and always comes during the summer. And during the summer is the, the heat of the summer. And then we still play like that. So when these things came out to be my mentality really was just, OK, that's what I'm used to. Usually we play a lot of those games. So when I play in the championship, there was games after games after games. 
now it was just a bit it's just a bit different if those are the situations and then the stadium becomes empty you know so you're yeah. playing these games where you have to play these games and there's many more games and the stadium is empty but at the same time we do have more substitutions now too that does help you know rest bodies and you know coaches uh, being able to use it the right way do you like the five subs is that thing because everyone's arguing whether it should stay or not i'm like i'm kind of indifferent but if it helps the players i'm for it I like it. I like okay. it. I think it's good. And I definitely also like the the concussion substitution, you know, because really it is, you know, showing that, you know, we've been looked after and protected because again, we're spending so much, you know, time and energy and everything that we're doing to make sure that we're physically ready. And when those things happen, it's great to see that, you know, there's substitution being put in place now to protect players from that. Or uh, teams. Hey, I want to go in chronological order because, uh, your career, it, it, to me, and correct me if I'm wrong, it doesn't seem like anything was given to you. You were at Cal State to Bingus Hill, so you went to university and went through the draft, got drafted by the Columbus Crew, spent some time in USL. So you, it felt like you had to prove yourself a lot. Even PD, in, PD, PDL, 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 sorry, but even which 20, is the team that just won the the trophy Orange, yesterday, Orange, Orange County. County. <laughs> Did you go? Did you did you give him a ring? You're like, all right, you're part of that. You're part of that uh, that crew. <laughs> no, we have, we have. We actually had a good conversation in the past few months. Um, you know, trying to do all these journeys and think about, you know, okay, does your journey has to rewind and go all the way back? Um, but Nick Tesloff is not there anymore. Nick Tesloff used to be my coach. You know, obviously Nick uh, uh, works with uh, Los Angeles Galaxy. Um, yeah, but those those days used to be really good. But yeah, my journey is is that I, I'm blessed. Yeah, it wasn't given to me, but I I don't know, man. I think coming to America and moving to America as a refugee and becoming a, a U.S. citizen that was the blessing out of everything. Because through that, I was able to achieve, you know, playing for the crew and many of the sixteen other MLS clubs that I did play. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, I mean, you let's see, I, I'm looking at crew, earthquakes, Dynamo, Sporting, and you scored a sporting you scored a ton of goals uh the crew again you scored a ton the revs vancouver colorado and then minnesota before heading off to finland and i think you're fifth or fourth all time in goal scoring in mls do you, do you yeah uh, around okay. around there around you don't know there. for sure uh-huh. i knew I, no. I remembered it i always had it memorized i think it's fifth uh but uh it's it's incredible because you were able to do the same job well at so many clubs and I mean, just getting back to that, it's like trying to prove yourself um, at such an excellent level. Did that help build you to where you were able to? I mean, it's got to be tough to go to to be in. You, I know you have a young family to be playing it in Columbus and then all of a sudden in Kansas City and then all of a sudden in Vancouver and Colorado. I mean, that's, that's yeah, got to no, take a it's, toll. It's the word again. I, you know, I'm blessed. I'm blessed, Max, is to be able to. That's how that's the way I always looked at it to be able to move to all these different clubs. It just shows that you were wanted, you know, maybe I didn't look at the fact that saying I never really found a home because as a player, you want to make sure that you're in a place and found, find a home and you just stay there. Obviously, Kansas City, where, you know, I met my wife and now they're back here and I'm back here. I'm always back here. Um, I call this place home other than L.A. But uh, playing wise, it definitely wanted to to to, to settle somewhere. Um, it didn't happen because it was a blessing and a curse because you're scoring a lot of goals. So another team needs goal scorers and they pick you up. And my goals has always been, I want to hit double digits, you know? And I mean, I, uh, since Columbus, since Columbus crew or going to new England, you know, it's, I don't even know how many goals that was or going to Vancouver more and then Colorado. So you always want to do that. But then the more you do that, the more another team wants you, you know, and the team that I was always at didn't really like, work hard to keep you yeah so uh, but i didn't i didn't have anything against it when somebody else called i'm just like yeah sure but <laughs> that year sure always you know now i realize hey you got a, a family and now it's not time to keep moving around anymore sure and, and two, we talk about goals but there's there was success and uh, was it 2015 uh joint i wish we court. had var there Ah, why? Because, <laughs> because 2015, the ball that went out of bounds and Nagby just took it and kept dribbling and crossed it to, to, oh. 
to Rodney Wallace in, in MLS Cup. Goal. You're right. You're right. <laughs> yeah. So I remember I was there and I remember watching that. And we were, it was at ESPN and we had a big feature on you. And uh, I was like, yeah, their guys got into the MLS Cup and you're this close. And then Portland kind of, it was a weird game, but it was very entertaining. And so, uh, you, so it was the first goal that happened in the first 20 seconds. Kickoff, yeah. passed the ball back, went back to Steve Clark. He took the touch to the outside of the foot, missed it to the Diego Valeri. Valeri scores. The one that goes out of bounds, and Tony Chani stops. And then Nagby starts, keeps dribbling, crosses it to Rodney. Rodney scores. And then I scored a goal 2-1, but it wasn't enough. So when you think about losing the game from those two goals in the MLS Cup, and that's the first cup ever I've been to in, what, 15 years? I was just, oh, man. <laughs> You, you have a photographic memory for all of that stuff. You can, <laughs> you visually can remember every detail as the, I remember Steve Clark who now plays for Portland, but he played for Columbus. And obviously that was a, I'm sure he's had a lot of sleepless nights, but it's, it's uh it, it, it players have to torment themselves when they think about it. And I can see it in your eyes too. And you're like, okay, if this. <laughs> that, that is Max, that is the, the mental health um, thing that I didn't, I didn't know, obviously coming from Africa and, and we're just thinking we're strong, you know, black people are strong, just, you know, we overcome everything. You went through a civil war, you overcome that. And when you talk about that, like really, because when you do have disappointments in games and when you don't sleep, when you have to deal with it to go back to training the next day or get back into a game, depending on what has been said about you in, me in the media or anything like that. That's the mental aspect of being a professional. That's really tough. The one about training and working really hard. Yeah, it's there. But now it's the negative, you know, how do you really handle, you know, negativity? For example, I had the worst miss ever. You know, I've just always been that guy that just laughed through stuff because I said there's always things that's worse. But some people are not able. When I moved to England, I remember guys used to sign off their Twitter account for like a week if they had a bad game on the weekend. Sign out. I say, why? They say, they're, they're, sign they're, out. Okay. okay. Yeah, they didn't want to see anything. I don't blame him. I said, it's nasty. Yeah, I said, why? Yeah. And I felt it when I was there. I felt it came to points and those things started going. So that mental aspect of this game is really serious, but we really don't, you know, look at it that, that, that importantly. That's interesting. And we always wonder the toll it takes on the athletes because we always view them. They're tough and they are tough, but they're still human beings. And I think about the England, Italy, Euro final and the missed penalties by Marcus Rashford, Jaden Sancho, Bukayo Sako. And uh, it, you know, without social media, this kind of, it gets, it gets processed, but it mm -hmm. became such a nasty um, a, a outpouring of negativity and racism. And it was like, mm -hmm. it just, I wonder it even at some times where the players are go, I don't need this. I don't, I don't need yeah. this in my life. No, it's it's tough. It's really hard. It's really hard. And those guys, yeah, they had the penalty situation. And bringing Sierra Leone into it, we um, Sierra Leone played against Liberia, and our captain had a penalty the last few minutes of the game. This was to get us in the World Cup, um, in the World Cup qualification group stage. He missed a penalty uh, at the end of the game, and obviously everybody was saying I should have taken it because I had scored a goal but he's the one that takes penalty on my national team. And after that, till this day, they are, you know, hunting him. They attacked his house, you know, oh stoned his house. So when the next penalty came about, the penalty that I made to qualify us for the, for the, the African Cup of Nation, it becomes really hard because now, now here I am getting ready to take a penalty. Mentally, I'm thinking about what the country would do to you if you miss this penalty. And this is one penalty to take the country into a cup that um, we haven't been to in 25 years. And it was an empty state. And all those things like mentally really get you. And it's hard. So for those players, I hope they're able to overcome it. They take the next penalty just so, you know, because it's hard. <laughs> I think there's going to be a point where some of these some where certain players, you know, like, I are going to turn down international duty because they're like, I don't I worry about my family. I worry about my, my well-being. I don't yeah. need to go through this if something bad happens because it's, like you said, you, it, it stays with you. I, it's something that's going it's, it's gonna to keep coming up, and the pressure, the pressure is so huge for these major international competitions. 
Hey, but they say we sign up for it. So we sign up. <laughs> That's because you guys are tough. You guys are tough. I would step out. I'm like, I'm out. I'm out. I'm going to play golf. I'm not going to. I'm going to turn off my Twitter account permanently, and I'm going to count my money. <laughs> you can miss. You can miss in golf too. Oh, you mean like a retirement golf league? Retirement golf. Yeah, I'm like hitting up 100, 110. Uh, <laughs> What, a quick thought about Sierra Leone, and that's where you were born. You came to the United States. And I and I, I got to say, uh, when I look at the world stage and you look at immigrants to countries and what it's done for them in developing this sport, it's it's really it's truly a huge foundation. Um, you mentioned Alfonso Davies and it was his mm-hmm. family from Ghana and it, it came over and then bolstering. We see that all over the world. And. I, it just reminds me about when, and I'll ask a question about Sierra Leone, but when, when young African families are looking for help, they, they pay it back in so many ways when they come to their new country. I see it time and time again, and no, nothing's benefited more than football because we've seen these success stories in Europe and we've seen it here in North America too. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's massive. I think it's our upbringing. We're so humbling and we're really, uh, feel that opportunity that we're given and we want to make sure that we're paying it back in such, you know, in every way that we can. And to me, that's what it is, you know, just, you know, this young boy from Sierra Leone and moving to Hawthorne, California and playing in Manhattan beach hurricanes and all these, you know, fathers, you know, my coach, Bruce Myrie and, you know, um, and Tyler Bradford, I used to come to my house to pick me up every morning on the weekends to go play games or evenings to go train. I always like when I play my career now, those are the people I play for because if they spent that much time to give back, you know, to me, I wanted to make sure that I made them proud. And I think that's what it is with most of the guys that I've met internationally, like Fonzie, uh, um, you can call him Fonzie, <laughs> like Fonzie, you know, because, you know, he was so like appreciateful that, you know, his family from Liberia and, and, you know, he was born in Ghana at the refugee camp and moved to Canada and the way they took him in. And uh, he's not the only other, you know, player, you know, there's many other African guys around that's been adopted by countries. And it's when you were given that second chance, uh, it's really, that's all we live for. Uh, Tim Way, another one who we, uh, who, when you mentioned Liberia, and I think about that, who the United States benefiting, because of that immigration and being able to become part of a new country and he's take a, it to another. He's a tough one. He's a tough one, you know. When you're president, when you your your father <laughs> is one of the biggest footballers in Africa, the biggest name, George Ware, and your son plays for America. Ooh, yeah. You know? It's a. by the way, that's also I, I always have so much respect for those guys because it's gotta be tough when your father was a, a big footballer. Because look, we we all want to look out for our kids, and we want to give them opportunities. But once you're on the field, you've got to develop. It doesn't matter what your last name is, you got to be good, no. right? No, yeah, you got to be good. Um, but it's good. It's good. It's good motivation. I think it, either way that we look at it, it gives you, you know, the the step. But it becomes to you now the person, the the personnel, so you can work even harder because you got to prove people wrong. And that's not just the name anymore. You got to prove them wrong, but he's one player I'm really excited to watch, you know, for the U S uh, national team. I've followed him, you know, for a while now. And, you know, I like, I mean, when he actually the assist that he had against Mexico, I wish that was my head in the back of that ball, man. <laughs> <laughs> that would have like, been, yes. that would have been an ATM finish for you. That's too easy. I Boom. Like, <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's the kind of cross I want, you know, I messaged him and stuff, but no, it's great. It's great. Um, he's, he's a good player, but it's exciting players out there. And to me, you know, when I, when I get to see those, those kind of impacts and, you know, people getting those chances, uh, it's, it's really good to see and proud of some of those boys. A quick thought, where where do we where does Sierra Leone stand? I mean, when you and I've talked to you about this in the past, when we know about Sierra Leone and the, the past and um, the hell and high water that the, the, the country went through. And how is it now and how's the footballing uh, perspective as I, I follow you on Instagram, follow Kai on his social media handles, Kai Kamara. Please follow me. Yes, well, it's great. And then you can see the great work you're doing there and how appreciative the folks in Sierra Leone are. And I've, I've asked you, I go, should I go there? He goes, yes. And I want to go. <laughs> COVID an, is an, an absolute rascal with travel, but it's on the list. But how, how is the country and their soccer team um, right now in 2021? 
Um, country is good. Let's talk about the country first. Country is good. You know, country is stable. Um, we do have a government at the moment that's, you know, really trying to make some improvement in the country. Um, one is, you know, implementing free education, which is really good. It helps someone as myself, you know, because I have my Heart Shape Hand Foundation, which we used to give out scholarship for kids in school. And then now with the free education, that's really good. So we put our focus in other things. For example, we brought our first student athlete to a school in, in the Boston area, in the New England area. Um, so she, she's going to school and, and playing soccer. Like those are the that's kind great. of things we want to do. Yeah. And Sierra Leone, um, it's been stable um, for a while and which, you know, we're really happy about. So the next step is Sierra Leone made it to the African Cup of Nations, which we haven't done that in 25 years. Really tough. Um, I'm really proud of the boys just all around, really. Now we have just the same thing you're saying. We have a lot of players from outside, players of Sierra Leone descent that's outside, you know, playing in England and and uh, playing uh, Turkey and different places, Sweden and all these places. So now some of these guys are coming back home now to play for the national team, which is good because, again, I'm not getting younger. And, you know, my time is about done after the African Cup of Nations probably. I will, you know, step away. And those guys will be the ones to carry the, you know, the torch for the national team. We're not ranked really well in FIFA. The highest we've been was 50. And that was back in 2013 when I was able to move to England. But now I think we're maybe 170 again. 50? But, uh, I mean, 50s. 50 was, was You guys got 50s. up there. We did. We did. <laughs> I earned myself a spot to be able to play for Norwich and in the Premier League, so which was or, or or playing in the Championship with Middlesbrough. So that was good, but now it's really developing the country. We need more, you know, um, football fields, soccer fields for guys to really improve in their games because they play really well. But Max, the dirt fields and this doesn't really help them technically, you know. So with the more Africa starts to get to like the astroturfs and all that you start to see more Latif blessings out. Ah, nice, Latif. Yeah. <laughs> we have, uh, LAFC has been great. We, I mean, obviously they've recruited players from different countries, but there's Latif from Ghana and there's Mamadou Fall from uh, Senegal. And I mean, most of the league, most of the teams of the league are, 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 are scouting and many of these players are in academies in Florida. So it's, it's really cool to see that develop. And I also want to touch on what you were able to do with Norwich and Middlesbrough, because back then, and it wasn't it wasn't that long ago, but it, everything's happened so quickly in American, uh, in North American football. But back in 2013, you know, you could count on two hands the amount of players that came from the U.S. <laughs> that were playing in England, and now that list is growing all over Europe. And uh, you got to pat yourself on the back a little bit because that opened that clearly opened doors for others. Yeah, I mean, then the other guys that did it before us, you know, really did help, you know, uh, Deuce, uh, Dempsey, um, obviously somebody that, you know, I followed and, you know, being a striker over there and, and scoring goals, that was always, you know, something good and, and uh, you know, Brian McBride and stuff like that, but it was amazing. It was amazing, not just to go over there as an American or as a Sierra Leonean, but at the same time, I only had one goal. And the, the most historical thing about that was, and it ended up happening against another American, which is Tim Howard. So I was like, that's a storybook. Like, there's no other way this thing could be written. I could have scored on anybody else, but scored against Tim Howard, you know, one of the, the biggest U.S., you know, national team goalkeepers. And here I am. So I don't know. It's a joy. I, I really, really enjoyed it. It was never my goal. It was never my goal to go play in England, you know. Um, but for the people of Sierra Leone, they, they, they worship the English league so much. And so I took the chance when it came and I'm, I'm, I'm happy I did. You look good in yellow and green too. That's hard to do, by the way. I yellow, yellow, looks good. <laughs> yellow, yellow has looked good on me because I, I came back and went, <laughs> went back to Columbus and I was like, hmm, come on, let's do Columbus again. Yeah, no, because my first thing in Columbus, you know, Ziggy may so rest in peace. You know, Ziggy is like, yeah. you know, father, grandfather to, to myself. And drafted me to go to Columbus and it just, you know, wasn't, you know, right the first two years. But that's the thing that made me go back because I was like, I have to do better. You know, I can go to Columbus and do better. And I'm happy I did go back to Columbus. Oh, fantastic. And uh, I'm going to I'm going to pivot here quick because I want to talk about 
uh, the World Cup and qualifying, and you, mm-hmm. you mentioned with Sierra Leone and African qualifying, because I was talking earlier on my podcast about uh, the the playoffs and how it works. And, you know, the World Cup's going to change here very soon where it's going to be expanded, which the more I think about it, I like, because I want to see countries get that opportunity. And I think we leave a lot of good countries out of a 32-team World Cup. Uh, the, 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 I didn't like it at first, and the purists are going to be uh, a little upset, but I look at Africa and how hard it is, but they get five teams and it's kind of arbitrary because of these groups. So you might get in a really tough group. There's, they're all tough. And Africa has so many good teams from North to South, from East to West. They all have very different styles and they all have identities. And you, you would love to see a Sierra Leone or a Liberia or a, a Togo. Togo has been there. They've been there. Okay. They have been there, but you know, there's countries that uh, Zambia that would love to, they've been there way back in the past. But to get an opportunity, which it just seems so difficult and there's no second chances. You win your group or you're done. Uh, It's uh, it doesn't seem all that fair. How have you viewed the qualifying process out there? I'm going to be completely honest and say it has to do a lot of with federations in Africa. Because if the federations are really um, investing in, 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 in trying to make their countries and their teams better, they would do better to compete and go into the top. Because that's why the top teams will always continue to be the top teams, because those guys have worked hard over the years to improve. I'm not saying their federations are a top, but to improve their federations. And, and you know, the Ghana, the Nigeria, the Egypt, the Tunisia's and Algeria's, because now they're doing stuff um, that's better or that's, you know, almost trying to compete with, you know, Europeans or CONCACAF teams. While in our countries and the smaller countries, federations are not investing enough to make their programs better. You know, I told, I talked to you about, we don't have fields in Sierra Leone. A federation is, you know, not doing enough to make, you know, more fields because that will help develop more players, you know, and if you want to compete with the Ghana and the, Ivory Coast and these teams, then we have to, you know, make our house better. That's the only way we'll be able to compete. So yeah, you do get lucky. Sometimes you have some teams that small teams get lucky, come out and, you know, then everybody starts talking about them. But at the same time, you know, if it starts from the bottom, if you want to make the programs better, they got to start from the U20s, from the U17s. Yeah. And we've seen what's, I mean, the great African success stories in the World Cup in Cameroon in 1990 and Senegal in uh, 98 and these countries that, you know, kind of are Ghana in 2010 Ghana, yeah. gave a great yeah. run. I, I I know it's capable, but there's something that holds it back. And it is probably the infrastructure or uh, the federations that kind of put some strange demands on the players, whether it's Sierra Leone or whether it's Cameroon and yeah. Morocco and, and Egypt. But it's also been great to see the development of the African player. And you look at Liverpool and you have Sadio Mane and Mo Salah and Riyad Mahrez, yeah. who's from Al- is Algerian, is playing with Leicester City. We know the Cameroonian and uh, the Cote d'Ivoire players uh, that are becoming bigger and bigger stars. And uh, I hope that does it because I, I know I know we're going to have an African team in a semifinal or a final. But we got to we got to start <laughs> getting good. we got to start getting him back into quarterfinals, and it hasn't we, happened we, in the last two. We were almost we were almost there, and the African team was almost there. You can blame um, Suarez for that, you know, um, yeah, for that handball. <laughs> hey, to me, smartest people crushing, but I goes smartest play. He had to do it. The rules state it, the rules should have stated if you do a deliberate handball, it it is, um, it, it should be a goal. But they had to do the penalty, missed the penalty. <laughs> And maybe they rewrite things, but uh, you had, Suarez kind of sacrificed his World Cup and it paid off because they made the semifinals. But it had to be Suarez, of course. And it goes back to penalties. And, you know, Asamoah Jan misses, you know, a yeah. penalty like that. And then this whole country. And, yeah, man, it's the mental game of this game is, is different. And it's, you know, it really takes a lot for a player. That's why, you know, I admire players as the Zidane, you know, when they played. You know, the kind of pressure, or even right now, my favorite player is Cristiano Ronaldo. You know, the amount of pressure, the amount of work that that guy does, you know, on and off the field, like, it's not easy. You know, this is not just a fun thing for us to say we're professional footballers or athletes. Man, it's 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 different. <laughs> that Ronaldo eats pressure. 
I, I know you. <laughs> I know you've kept an eye on the Concacaf qualifying and get your thoughts on it because, as you said, you were with Alfonso Davies. And really quickly, just did you see it when he was he what sixteen was it when you're playing with him? Yeah, seventeen. I think seventeen. It was. Did you? I mean, you had to have seen this raw talent, but did we ever see something where like in two years he went from evaluation when he was sold to Byron for, I think 12, 13 million to where he's now worth 80, 90 million left best left back in the world. Is he he worth that much? Yes. I think it's 80 million, his evaluation. And now he's being called the best player in CONCACAF and CONCACAF history. It's not in history yet, but this is an incredible rise. Not Not in history yet. Not in history yet, but you know, it did a it did a little interview actually before he left, and I said it would be. I hope that interview comes out one day. I said it would be the best left back in the world. Wow! Um, Boom! He did that before he left. He didn't. And know they moved him. Did, they moved him to that, that position. Interview. Yeah. I mean, when, um, when you're as fast as he is, you become a you become a hybrid left back midfielder because he could just go wham and back. Yeah. No, it's it's good. I mean, I I I really you know again being American yes, but I really love the Canadian team. I have always seen the 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 prospect in them because I wanted you know, that team to be good enough to compete because you have to continue to build rivalries, not just, you know, uh, U.S.-Mexico rivalry, but how about the, you know, the U.S.-Canada rivalry. And you can see the prospect and the players and the, on, the, on the Canadian national team, but, you know, it took a while for them to finally gel. And maybe, yes, Fonzie becoming, you know, every team needs that one player that does help. Maybe vocally he's not, but by what he does on the field does inspire the rest of the, you know, uh, Jonathan Davis and the rest of the people, you know, Dunia Henry around them and Osorio. I mean, they have a good team. I really like their team, but U.S. produce players, you know, we're a melting pot out here too that, <laughs> you know, everyone and like right now looking at the U.S. team, sometimes I look at them and I just say, man, these boys are too young. And then they the game goes on. I'm like, wait, they just destroy Mexico? <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> Forget the young, like these boys can play. Do you, do you think we should, the U.S. should play the young players? Because there's this, there's this push and pull about, okay, let's play the guys who are usually MLS based and they have a little more experience. But, you know, I think you, I'm getting to you think. You always put need them, experience though. Yeah. You know, I think definitely put them, put the young boys, you know, because again, you, I mean, you need time for these boys to gel and, and take, you know, take the, 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 I don't know, the baton and keep moving it forward. And games like, for example, the last game against Mexico, games like that helps build their characters and, you know, making them be in positions of, of, of being um, um, leaders now. But you need you need the guys that's going to pass those batons. So those guys still have to be around there to continue to help them, you know, being able to take pressure. Because like we talk about the pressure, the mental game, let's say this team go to the World Cup. And they go there and something happens. <laughs> Who on this team is going to be the one to carry them and say this if there's no, you know, veteran in there that's been there before? It's it's weird to identify the veterans. And it's like, who is that guy? Because, you know, they they kind of cut the last team that didn't make. It would have been Michael Bradley and Josie Altador who could have been on this team. But they went, you know, there's some guys, but they're it's, it's kind of the missing the World Cup kind of put a missed the link to where we have a good veteran leadership. So maybe that allows these kids to play some more, but I agree with you. I think at some point you need that one, the one guy who's going to say, Hey, we're not taking that. Get your yeah. head out of your backside. What are you yeah. doing? Because now it's, I mean, we're all in the, you know, swagger days, you know, let's play with swag, let's play with swag, but they still got to be that one guy that's, you know, nah, I'm going to, you know, I'm, I want to kick, I want to kick someone like, I don't I care the swag. Yes. I want to, I want to win. Let's play to win. Forget the swag, yeah. you know? So you need that. There's it's a, that's a smooth transition where you want to become, Hey, it's, we're winning this game. It doesn't have to mm-hmm. look great. We're mm-hmm. winning this game. Uh, it, how do you think, how do you think that finishes up? And I think with Canada, they have the great, you know, we talked about the, the immigration and how they've really leaned into that. And not only in, and I've talked about this in the past, not only in soccer, but in basketball, where these young Canadian players from all over the world are now who love being Canadian and now building these sports. And I think it's here to stay. I think it's here to say it makes CONCACAF that much better of a federation, but how do you think it finishes? Do you think I'm starting to think Canada finishes first, but it's going it, it, to, I mean, close. it is, it's that right now, you know, it's surprising, but it's good. 
you know, again, like I said, you know, it's really good to have them up there. It's not U.S. or Mexico, even though they're not far off. But, you know, it puts pressure on everyone. It puts pressure on everyone. I mean, the amount of money that's been spent by, you know, uh, U.S., Mexico, or even, you know, maybe Costa Rica, for example, you know, that's always been good. And it's putting pressure on them now to say, you know, Canada, a bunch of, you know, really young players that, the, that Canada does have. It shows the transition in, in the whole game. You know, and to me, I really like it where it's at right now. I don't think it finishes that way, but I okay. like the fact that those two teams will be chasing it a little bit. Very interesting. Hey, Kai Kamara, great to chat with you here. Before I let you go, what was your go-to meal in Finland? I always have this impression at HIF. Well, I mean, I always have a finish. It's like strange fish and very bland food. I could be wrong. I've never been to Finland. I'd like to go. But I get the feeling it's cold. It's you're not going to get these incredible vegetables. <laughs> what was it? What was the food like? Are you ready for it? Yeah, it's called it. it it's called korva pusti. That sounds terrible. Can you say it? Can you say korva? Pusti? I don't, I'm afraid I might say it wrong. I get in trouble. Korva pusti. <laughs> korva pusti. You got it right. What korva is it? Pusti. It's a cinnamon roll. Cinnamon roll. Yes. Oh, they oh that sounds good. Amazing cinnamon roll. So good it's bakeries not, there. It's not. Yes. There's so many um, um, little coffee shops all over the place. Um, so it was really nice to spend time, you know, in this coffee shop since I didn't have my family. But everywhere you went, you know, the, on the top of the table, they always had these cinnamon rolls, the finished cinnamon rolls. It's Cordova Pustina. I kept eating this. And then the guys, and one day a guy said, "My in my town, they make the best. And you brought two big old, you know, cinnamon rolls for me. But hey, by the way, my favorite. too many cinnamon rolls. You're not going to play till 40. Just some advice here. Just, just, just work. Just work harder, man. Just burn it off really quick. I got four. I got 4.5% body fat. Just keep it that way. <laughs> That's fantastic. Uh, worth visiting. Finland worth definitely, to go. definitely okay. worth visiting. People talk about you know the winter. The winter it does get dark uh, early, and in the in the summertime it was light until uh, midnight. Uh, but it's see, a I want to see that country. I want to yeah. walk around at eleven thirty and like I'm not tired because the mm-hmm. sun's still out. Because <laughs> and I went there in the I went there in August. So imagine I had to get used to that and then wake up at eight to go to training because I don't sleep until five. Oh wow, <laughs> that's crazy. That's what happened. That's what would happen to me. It would screw me up. It would screw me up. Yeah. You know. Kai, always great to chat with you, my friend, and wish you the best Thank of you, luck man. seeing you where you're going to the next the next club. And hopefully you get some tenure in, in Finland. It's a weird season. We know it ends now and you have to find some other clubs. But I know you will. Kai Kamara, check him out on social media and, and check him out on his on his charitable work as well. It's fantastic. We'll continue here on the soccer. OG. Thank you, brother. Thank you. You got it. We'll be back with stoppage time. I'll talk about the Ballon d'Or. Don't go anywhere. Okay, we are back. Time now for stoppage time, and we're going to discuss the Ballon d'Or, which was presented on Monday by France Football. The organization did it in Paris. Black tie event. Celebrities are out. Lovely event. Certainly, I would like to go there. It would be fun seeing all these great footballing players. And awards. You know, I did, by the way, win a, an Emmy Award recently, in case you didn't hear. That's right. Emmy Award winning Max Bretos, the soccer OG. Put that in pipe and smoke it. You don't have to smoke anything. So, uh, but awards generally, I mean, I went 25 years and I didn't win an award for here and I didn't take anything away from what I did. And I'm not here to diminish awards in general, but they are subjective. And sometimes they make more sense than in other uh, areas. And reward enough if what you do, your paycheck, the, the, the feeling you get, the satisfaction you get from doing something or helping someone. That's all great. That's what it's for. Awards are nice, though. And shoot, man, I have that Emmy on my mantelpiece, and I, I, I give it a little rub every now and then, and I'll pull it out in big parties. <laughs> but the Ballon d'Or, it was basically a, a two-man race for the last 10, 12 years between Cristiano Ronaldo and Lionel Messi. I mean, who else could you possibly give it to? It was a superstar era. It's a superstar era that we're moving away from. For the better of the sport, I would I would add. I want to see my superstars. There's guys you want to tune in. We have some young ones like Kylian Mbappe and uh, Erling Haaland that could take that mantle, mantle away. And there's Christian Pulisic, some of these young American players. But the best teams, as we saw with Chelsea, are teams. Or with Liverpool, 
even Man City. They are teams that come together and and play at a level where they're going to win trophies, which is the ultimate award in soccer. The Ballon d'Or is just becoming a null and void, obsolete, and just a chance to you know kiss the feet and worship the mantle of Messi, who won his seventh. Again, that's two more than Cristiano Ronaldo in that back and forth. Everyone really thought Robert Lewandowski should have won it. I thought Robert Lewandowski should have won it. He had 41 league goals last season. It's also weird timing at the end of the year for this award because it includes all sorts of criteria that it's impossible to really separate the two. Messi, top goal scorer by a good margin in Spain. Wasn't a great year for Barcelona. And then with Messi, we start making excuses. Well, the club was a mess and this. He he gets all the credit. Look, I'm not I love Lionel Messi, but these are the facts. He gets all the credit, doesn't take any of the blame. Not him, but the court of public opinion, the 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 people I interact with on Instagram and Twitter, which just say absurd things. And I get attacked. I was like, why Messi? I, I asked a question on an Instagram chat area. I go, why Messi? And everyone just erupted on me. So I'm not saying Messi doesn't really deserve it, but these awards are uh, just counterproductive and dumb, quite frankly. The only thing dumber than this award is the Heisman Trophy. College football. Have you seen the list of Heisman Trophy winners? One out of four or five becomes a good NFL player. You know, I mean, you look at these guys and first of all, football is a sport where you're only on the field half the time and we're going to award the best player. How could you even determine that? And in the years we've had one I think defensive player, maybe two, win the Heisman Trophy. The defensive players come to the NFL and crush it. So I know we're going to keep going having a Heisman Award. It is steeped in history. It's an incredibly good-looking award. I would love to have it on my mantle, although my mantle's not that large enough. But it doesn't make any sense in a in a in the college college football, football, American football in general is the consummate team sport where you have to get off on the field and hope your defense or your offense, if you play the other side, can win it. You may not be on the field for the important moments at the end of the game. It's a team sport. And soccer has become that as well. So while I, I'll, I'll, I'll put some holes in the Lionel Messi discussion, because when we talk about, when we I was watching the, the gala, and when we talk about what was happening there, with regards to uh, why he won it. And it all came back to winning the Copa America with Argentina. And this goes back to with Lionel Messi getting all the credit, not enough the blame. When Argentina won the Copa America, which was a watered-down tournament, and again, look, I'm just, they're not apples to apples. There's an asterisk. It was in front of empty stadiums. It was a tournament that should have been canceled seven or eight times. It's a tournament where players couldn't really come in, and not all of them certainly did, although it was still a wonderfully, uh, uh, how do you say it, uh, represented tournament. A lot of big stars, and so a lot of good young players coming in. Certainly that Brazil team, which was expected to win. So he gets the credit for that, and I'm like, okay, he's he scored the goals, but that Argentina team, is competitive because of a new outlook by Lionel Scaloni and building a team where Messi, his contributions can be magnified. But the only reason they can be is because he's created an engine room with Rodrigo de Paul and uh, Leandro Paredes, which are as good, this double pivot, which is good as anywhere in the world. Emi Martinez, who made this incredible save on Yeti Mina against Colombia to eliminate the Colombians. This was a stoic defense, again, who had four clean sheets. Angel Di Maria scores the goal in the final. Why is it Lionel Messi and the rest? By the way, the Argentine players, the way they handled that and lifted Messi on their shoulders. And he, man, I felt so good for him because he deserves to win that big trophy for his body of work. But to say that the Ballon d'Or goes to him because of what he did in Argentina, if it's more than just winning and it's more than just stats, what is it? I mean, I... I'm talking about it now, and that's what everyone in this world of soccer is talking about, but it doesn't mean anything. These awards just should not be invested. Too much time should not be invested. And when I look at the Twitter timeline after, I've been saying this for a long time about awards. I just don't, I just, 
They tear things apart. And by the way, uh, Ronaldo's slamming France football for pushing the rivalry, making it a big deal. So he's upset. It gets everyone bent out of shape. I want to talk about the World Cup. I, I don't give two poops about the Ballon d'Or. Looking at the timeline, clearly a lot of people agree. Awards, man. Don't waste time on it. Let's talk about the playoffs of the World Cup. Let's talk about MLS Cup. Let's talk about my wonderful soccer OG YouTube, which is up under Max Bretos. Check it out right now about the playoffs. March and then the, the playoffs in the summertime between Come Bowl and Oceania and then Asia and South America. Oh, it's going to be so good. It's going to be a nice bridge to the World Cup. So enjoy that. Talk about it. Let's be positive. I'm always positive. The Soccer OG. Please rate, review, download, subscribe, and help spread the word. The good word. And even though I'm recording this on a Monday, as I always like to sign off, Palacio Domingo. Domingo.